everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast of a bunch of writers who sit around, drink, and talk about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Today's hosts are Chaz Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 74, I Am Death's Brother. Grab a coffee, faithful listeners. Chaz is going to read us a story from his upcoming collection titled, Everything in All the Wrong Order, The Best of Chaz Brenchley. I am Death's brother. I am Death's brother, his shape and shadow. I am his bondsman, his majordomo, and his messenger. Where I open the door, Death enters. Where I touch his mouth, he speaks. He was my brother, and he was late. I sat by the open window, waiting, and at last he came with a flurry and a snap of short wings, falcon shape, my brother David. He stood on the sill, edged in moonlight, a small bird, sharp, eyes like razors. Then he changed, shifted, dressed himself in his proper body, and was a boy, my brother, naked and shivering against the stars. I closed the window and pulled a dressing gown over his lean shoulders. Kit, his voice was breathy, tight with exhaustion and magic remembered. Oh, God. He felt feather light in my arms, as though his bones were hollow like a bird's. Even through the thick wool of the dressing gown, my fingers could count his ribs. Come on, David, move. I hauled him across the room to the fire and let him drop. You get warm. I'll make some coffee. Later, we sat on the floor with our hands wrapped around heavy pottery mugs, watching the flames like feathers sliding over cherry logs, while he tried to tell me how it felt. Flying, it's... I don't know how to say it, but it's like there's nothing left, nothing of you. You're all wind and fire with no limits and no laws. It's not like simply putting your own mind into a bird's body. I leave David behind, down here with you. Out there, I'm just flying, or running, or whatever. It doesn't have to be a bird, or not moving at all. Morton taught me trees. He rubbed at last summer's scar high on his forearm, and I knew what he was going to say. It's no good trying to tell you. There aren't the words. Morton could show you, though. Or I could now. It only needs one quick cut, my blood and yours. Then you'd have it too, and we could be together. I shook my head hard against the pleading in his eyes. No, David, still no. I can't. And it's not the cutting, you know that. The whole thing scares me. It's like you're not real anymore when you can be something different every time you blink. I need to know what I am. You could lose hold so easily. He grinned then and punched me. Who says I'm not real, little brother? That stung as it was meant to. I was taller than David and half a stone heavier. So I hurled myself at him and we wrestled across the polished floor until I had him pinned in a corner with his arms down at his sides and my knee in his ribs. He blinked up at me and smiled. For a moment, my hands went numb and my leg where it was touching him. I dropped a foot falling through him or where he had been onto my hands and knees and found myself eye to eye with a coiled, swaying cobra. I jerked back with a yell, cuffing at it frantically. The snake trapped my wrist in a loop of its own body, then spiralled up to curl around my throat. It butted my cheek affectionately, like a kiss. Then I was numb all across my neck and shoulders, and I could feel David's weight pressing into my back as he held me in a vicious armlock. Give up, little brother? He asked tauntingly. But before I could speak or move, he let me go, running his fingers through my hair, almost an apology. I wish you wouldn't do that, I muttered, tossing another log onto the fire. I know, but you always win if I don't. 
He yawned suddenly, and we went to bed with hardly another word passing between us. I dreamed of black wings beating hard enough to blow the stars away and let the true night in. When I woke up next morning, David was gone again, leaving the window open and a single brown feather in, the, in a corner of the sill, trapped in the cobweb, shifting in the breeze. I lied for him, as so often before, saying he'd gone off early to do some fishing with Morton. Then I kicked my way down the path to the river, feeling that something precious was being stolen away from me. It wasn't jealousy. I was jealous, sure, but it wasn't that. My brother's keeper. I'd been David's keeper for years now. I'd looked after him, fought his battles for him, held, my, held his freedom in my hands. And now he wanted to wrest it away and give it to an old man with unquiet eyes. When I reached the river, I dropped onto my back in the grass and watched the birds. Starlings, finches, a single rook, and suddenly two falcons coming out of the sun to hover directly above me. We watched each other for a long time. They moved hardly more than I did, just turning a wingtip to hold themselves still above the meadow. Then one flicked away across the water and the other followed after a second's hesitation. David! I scrambled to my feet to watch them, two specks keeping low, quickly lost against the brown fowls. Be careful! I went back to the same spot in the afternoon, taking some of David's clothes with me. Just before sunset, he came to me, a solitary magpie, one for sorrow. The old rhyme was nonsense, of course, but I would have been happier if Morton had been with him. David dressed slowly, shivering, tired as ever, but with a strained look that was new. There was none of the exultant weariness I was used to. The set of his mouth was angry or tearful. We walked back towards the cottage in silence, but as we passed through the neglected orchard, I reached out a hand to stop him. David, what is it? He picked an apple off the ground, worm-eaten and rotten. Nothing. Come on, this is me, remember? Kit, your brother. Looking at me, his lips twitched into a half-smile. All right, but it's still nothing. Only that Morton asked me to do something and wasn't happy when I said no. That worried me. I didn't trust Morton, even when he was being friendly. He had too much power to be safe. If ever he found cause to use that power against us, there might be changes which even David couldn't find his way back from. What was it, I asked, what he wanted? It doesn't matter. David's face shuttered, and I knew he'd never tell me. Just something I don't want to do. He tossed the apple in his hand, then hurled it suddenly far between the trees to splatter against a wooden pig trough by the gate. Come on, little brother, he said, slapping the back of my neck. I'll race you home the long way through the wood. So we ran. And as there was no one to see, I raced a fox and a deer and a white horse that for one fleeting, laughing moment was a unicorn. Over the final hundred yards, David twisted from shape to shape like a mad boy, badger to hare to snake to beaver. So at the last, I just managed to catch up and get to the door before him. I subsided, panting onto the stone step and watched until he twisted eventually into himself, naked, of course, his clothesline forgotten on a path in the wood. He glanced down and laughed. Well, at least I'm still human. And as he went past me into the cottage, I heard him repeat it under his breath. Human, at least I've still got that. And I won't give it up, not for anything. I wondered just what it was that Morton had offered and what he had asked for in return. David spent the next three nights in his bed and the days with me in his own shape, fighting and fooling the way we used to. I was glad, but I didn't trust his mood. He was wound up and edgy, always glancing at the sky, 
watching the flight of hawks and ravens. He'll come sooner or later, he told me one night in our bedroom. I'm not hiding from him. He was angry, but that will have passed by now. I just don't want to see him, that's all. He'll only try to persuade me again. There's nothing more I want from him. I told him that, but he'll come. And he did come. But when he did, he came to me. It was early one bright, windless morning. I left David asleep and went walking up through the woods to the hilltop behind. At the summit, I sat on a moss-stained boulder and stared out across the barren moors, feeling the strength of this old country and the unconcern. I sat without moving until a shadow caught my eye, flickering over grass and stones, speeding towards me. Glancing up, I saw a buzzard coming down fast, wings folded and talons thrusting forward. I flinched back, throwing one arm across my eyes as the sun glinted off steel-grey claws. Somehow, the bird checked itself in mid-air, a yard from my face. Its head lifted in a mocking, triumphant screech. Then it dropped to the ground beside me and was Morton. He was an old man who sat at my feet now, blinking up, old and slightly foolish looking, his skin pale and pimpled like a fresh plucked goose. But there was nothing foolish about his eyes, stagnant pools of murky green breeding who knew what beneath the surface. And he spoke in a bubbling, scalding voice, a voice like boiling water. Well, it's the other one, not the one I want, not yet. You're the one who won't, is that right? I don't know what you mean, I said solemnly. I'm not interested in changing shape, if that's what you're getting at. Boy into hawk won't go, eh? Well, tell your brother. His voice was suddenly angry, and his body blurred at the edges, losing distinction as a thousand shapes threatened. He paused, then went on more calmly. Tell your brother this. All things have a price, and I have given him all things, so he must pay all prices. I mixed my blood with his to give him wings when he asked. Now he must mix his life with mine, because I ask. Tell him this. Morton stood up, and shadows wove and rippled around him, so that I could no longer see that he was naked. And tell him also this. I will not ask again. Next time I compel. With that he was a bird again, a maddened eagle, wings beating about my head and razor talons tearing at my clothes and skin. I turned to run. He clung to my shoulder long enough to rip my cheek open with one stab of his beak. Then he spread his wings and let the sky lift him to itself. I found David down by the river, lying on his stomach, one hand in the water. He jumped up when he saw the state of me, my shirt in rags and blood all over. Kid, what? The question died somewhere between throat and lips. He stood rigid, turning ash white behind the fire of his anger. Morton, wasn't it? It was Morton. I nodded and dropped down to splash water onto my torn cheek. I could feel it now burning like a brand across my face, and I knew that Morton had marked me for life. I told David what Morton had said and what he had done. I was sitting half turned away watching the river, but behind me I could sense him shifting crazily, one shape to another. I heard a coughing growl and screaming, the rage of fur and feather. But when finally I turned to face him again, he was a boy again, flint-eyed and spitting. He has no right! Curse him, he has no right! Don't be a fool, David, I said alarmed. He's stronger than either of us, there's nothing we can do. He shook his head, reaching out to brush a gentle hand across my cheek. Even that light touch snagged a gasp from me, and David showed me red on his fingers. Blood and blood, Kit. First my blood and now yours. It's enough. I won't be blackmailed into anything, and I won't let you be hurt. David, he's stronger than you are. You can't touch him. 
He smiled as a cat smiles in the night. Yes, I can. Anything he can shape, I can shape. And I'm younger and faster than he is. Don't worry, I'll catch him. He didn't say what he would do when he did catch Morton. But just before he took the falcon's shape and left me, he touched my cheek again. He was my brother, and there was death in his smile. I waited for him all day, down there in the water meadows, watching the sky and calling uselessly into the wind. No one answered me, but at last a shadow came out of the red sun, a great buzzard hurtling across the grass. It came to ground and shaped itself into Morton, damp and sweating, streaked with something dark. He laughed at me and said, I left your brother in the orchard. He's waiting for you. And so am I, boy. Blood calls to blood. Boy into hawk goes twice with nothing over. Then he was gone. I don't know in what shape. It might have been a beetle or a spider or any crawling, vicious thing. As far as I was concerned, he simply vanished. Morton had just dropped him out in the open near the old pig trough. But it wasn't David, not anymore. Dead, he was just a bird, a falcon with its heart ripped out, blood on its feathers. What was it Morton had said, that he was waiting for me, that blood calls to blood? Then let it, I muttered. David had told me where it lay, the power to change shape. You could inherit it, or you could take it from anyone who had it, simply by mixing a little of their blood into yours. And heaven knew I had enough of David's here. The gash on my cheek had clotted and dried but there was a sheath knife on my belt. I drew it out, catching a silver gleam of fish scales on the handle. The last time I'd used it was to gut trout that David caught for supper one evening, shifting from otter to heron and back, while I watched and felt jealous and just a little afraid. There was far more of David in the memory than there was in the dead falcon in the grass. Even so, I was crying now at last watching through tear-blurred eyes as my hand laid the knife blade against my forearm and jerked savagely down and across, watching as the fresh blood oozed out and began to trickle over my skin, watching as I smeared blood from the bird's corpse, dead David's blood into the cut, blood meeting blood, shape meeting shape. I watched as I cried, cried as I waited for the hand of change to touch me. I didn't know what I was doing. Living blood gives power, but David was dead, and death has no shapes in his gift. He had no body until I gave him mine. So it was as a boy that I went to Morton, not the boy he knew, not Kit. Death had taken me half into his own country, and it showed. I was a quicksilver slip shadow figure, the colour of moonlight on deep water, eyes of dust. Morton gaped at me, and I could smell his terror. What, 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 what do you want? Blood, I said. You promised. Blood to shape me. You said you would be waiting. My voice might even have scared me if I could have remembered how fear felt. Spiders, perhaps, should have such voices, grey and powder dry. Yes, yes, of course, anything. My arm was bleeding still from the cut I'd made. Morton opened his palm with a razor along the line of an old scar. I caught the blood on my finger as it dripped. He flinched away, although I hadn't touched him, and waited silent in a corner as I mixed his blood into mine. It hurt this time. Where David's death touch had been a gentle, kissing change, Morton's was the shock of fire meeting ice, the threat of destruction. I dropped to my knees, fighting the pain, burning as I began to lose the limits of my shape. I was a changer now. 
While Morton watched from his corner, Boy went into hawk, or the echo of a hawk, still dust-grey, death-grey, with nothing of life about me but white drops of blood falling from one wing. I flew to a tree outside the hut and waited. When Morton came, I challenged him, a hawk's scream shivering the air. He owed me more blood than I'd been given. He owed me for David, and I wanted it all. He fled. And all that day I hunted him from one shape to another, silent and close as his shadow. A thousand times I could have caught and killed him, but I hung back until at last, cornered against rocks, he turned wearily to fight. I shifted to falcon shape for David and struck. I didn't really kill him. Rather, death passed into him through me. There was no struggle, simply a rushing as I touched him, a liquid sound, and he was dead. Morton was the first and the only one I wanted. There have been others since, there are others every day, but I take them at random. I am not God. Like Lazarus, I live in exile from my life, always moving, usually a bird or a cat, shadows of love, a fish when I meet water, rarely now a boy. And where I go, death follows, taking people and animals as lightly as the wind takes a feather, all the life that I choose and touch. I bring death as surely as a storm brings rain, but I am not death. I am death's brother, his shape and shadow. We will put links to stories, especially this one, and the interesting things we mention on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We love email. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is Dave Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, and our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Lingberg. You can hear more from Michael Lingberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Eternally Jackal Designs for great t-shirts and the bean scene in downtown Sunnyvale. And hey, thanks for listening. Thank you.